This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howey, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bearers. Beavers are an essential animal to the North American landscape. They create and maintain wetlands that are home to at-risk and endangered species. They clean runoff from agricultural lands. They sequester carbon. They improve habitat for salmon and other fish species. And they even help mitigate wildfires. Sadly, beavers are trapped and killed across Canada and the United States for their fur, but also when their presence challenges human infrastructure. Fortunately, there are solutions that keep beavers on the land and protect human-created systems like roadways and stormwater management systems. And teaching people how to implement these life-saving devices is the Beaver Institute. A U.S.-based nonprofit, the Beaver Institute aims to restore ecological balance with beavers and offers incredible training programs that help communities coexist. To speak more to the programs, the importance of beavers, and how people can get involved with protecting beavers across the landscape, Defender Radio is joined by Adam Burnett, Executive Director of the Beaver Institute. To get started, why don't we talk a bit about the Beaver Institute? What is it? Where does it come from? Let's start there, and we'll get a bit more into the work and yourself. Yes, we are a nonprofit that advances uh, beaver and human coexistence through technical education and um, scientific research, as well as general education to the public. Um, our founder, Mike Callahan, he um, for years he's been doing these installations, these coexistence devices uh, from flow devices to beaver deceivers uh, and, and others that uh, mitigate conflicts between beavers and the landscape they live in, which often are uh, near humans and can be near humans. So Mike was doing this work for himself as a business, and he was just noticing that there was a big need for it, but not a lot of people trained in a technically sound way. And that's how the Beaver Institute came about, was this vision of having someone trained in beaver-human coexistence techniques within two hours of any conflict that might occur in North America. We're, we're not there yet, but we're working our way there. We have a program called Beaver Corps, where we train folks in these techniques and Mike does one-on-one -on -one mentorships with them. It's all done virtually. Um, we connect people with beaver buddies. If there's one in the region, someone who's been uh, gone through this training and we're really, I've been with the organization now for about a little over a year and um, we're really trying to scale this program so that uh, it's not just folks learning these techniques, but people being educated in general about the benefit of living alongside beavers and, and letting them be in the landscape. So to that point, we we have a lot of other programs, including a, a conference that we do every other year, BeaverCon, mm -hmm. um, as well as six national beaver working groups that are working on a variety of topics and issues relating from policy to science and research to education, uh, communication. And then we have ongoing public programming that just educates people in general over different topics. You know, last month we had a, a webinar about beavers in the city and this coming month, we're going to have a discussion about uh, beavers uh, and removing toxins from wastewaters and other sites where uh, destruction and, and toxic waste and elements are present. So as we really run the gamut, but the real, the through line is everything beaver. 
Absolutely. And we are huge fans of the Beaver Institutes at the Fur Bears. And we'll get a bit more into the Beaver Corps program, which we uh, we like to support for folks up in Canada. But um, I'd like to hear a bit about yourself. So this this is a new post for you. As, as you said, Mike Callahan uh, was sort of the, the beginning of all of this. And many of my listeners have heard from Mike and I have talked with Mike several times and we've worked with Mike for a long time. Uh, so we'd like to hear a bit more about you. What's your background, Adam? Where do you come from? Yeah, I kind of come from left field, but, you know, in the beaver world, everyone seems to come from left field. Um, Mm -hmm. Beavers kind of find you, uh, it seems, and that's what happened to me. Um, I had been working actually in the realm of performance and theater for over a dozen years. That's where I was professionally trained Um, as a playwright and director. I ran a theater company, and increasingly the work I was doing as an artist was... um, more and more centered around the environment and about pathways of collaboration and communication with uh, the uh, more than humans. Uh, particularly, I had a play about um, coyotes and coexistence. So I was sort of prepared for beavers to come into my life. Uh, just wasn't expecting it. And at the top of the pandemic, I went back to Kansas uh, where I was raised and to the farmland that was once my grandfather's was no longer a working farm, but was adjacent to other working farms and pretty immediately discovered that the adjoining farmers had some issues because there were beavers on our pond. And the only solution that they saw viable was to lethally trap them and get them out of there. And I said, that's not, we're not going to do that. I got to find some other route. So I read, uh, I picked up Ben Goldfarb's amazing book, Eager. That led Mm -hmm. me to the Beaver Institute. And uh, within a a few weeks after all that, I had a friend of mine came up and my partner and I, we all put in a uh, keystone culvert to make sure the water flew to the cow uh, ponds downstream and the beavers could remain in place. And from there, the the rest is history. Uh, In in some respect, uh, about a year and a half after that, uh, this position came open at the Beaver Institute and the stars align and I applied and and here we are. Um, And it's amazing. You know, I, I think that Folks might look at like a background in theater and and performance being so such a far cry from this kind of role. But honestly, I'm I'm employing many of the same skills I had when making theater. You know, it's really about collaboration. And I see my role as being the one who starts the sentence and then provides the punctuation and then finds when the sentence should end. And that's sort of uh, my my view of of the role of an executive director, sort of ushering and stewarding people to be successful in these efforts. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me. I don't think people appreciate outside of that world the organizational behemoth that running a show is. Yeah. Uh, to putting together a show, and as someone who has worked sort of at all of those levels, I I am in no way surprised to see you want to take on something like this, and it makes sense to me that you would have that skill set. Um, Again, that's the the fortunate uh, aspect of being sort of adjacent to theater people in my life. (laughs) I see how much work goes into it and how much organization it takes and passion. And that's what running a nonprofit is. Absolutely. Um, And... That's it's interestingly similar to my story to getting involved with beavers. I was a journalist for uh, a decade and started working on wildlife and environmental related things and similar path, but with the fur bears in Canada. Mm. Uh, found them for an interview and sort of the rest ended up being history. Amazing. It's, it's funny how beavers bring people together in that way. It's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's, you're right, the story uh, you share is very similar to many, many other people I know who are in this business. Um, You kind of find yourself in it looking for solutions and then 
you find out there are solutions, but just not necessarily the people available to put them in place. Um, and that's a big part of, of what Beaver Institute is doing and is so impressive. And uh, let's talk a bit about the Beaver Corps program, maybe, because uh, this is, I think, a, a fascinating program. The Fur Bears provides an annual scholarship for someone to attend from Canada. Uh, and we've, I think, run two or three people through the program now with the same intent of making this skill set more broadly available to community members. Because in my experience, a lot of people, if not believers, are at least willing to try. They're willing to watch the work get done and see what happens. But it's a far cry from letting someone do it or paying someone to do it and actively going out and seeking those solutions when there is an easily accessible one in front of you, which in many agricultural areas and municipalities, trapping has been the long answer, as you've said. Um, what's your experience been in terms of sort of introducing people to the program itself? Because it is quite robust and uh, teaches a lot of different kind of skills all put together. Yeah, it's 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 as you as you noted, it people are willing. I think people are more willing than than you think they are, at least to listen and understand. And I think what it comes down to is is seeing is believing. You know, once you mm-hmm. start making recognizing the impact that uh, just one uh, pond of beavers has on the environment, on the ecosystem, for biodiversity, for so many of these positive aspects that beavers just provide by being beavers, then to want to work with them staying in place is um, can come quite easy at that point. The point, the the issue where it becomes challenging is, you know, this idea that beavers are a nuisance and uh, they're they're causing problems. They're they're taking down the trees, and we really see this program as a way to uh, ensure technically sound installations. Because all it takes is for one installation to fail, for someone to say, "See, it didn't work," yeah. and that's why Mike has been really um, set on making sure that there are checks and balances as people go through the program. So I think it might help just to really quickly give you an overview of, of, of getting yeah. involved in the program, what that might look like. Um, so folks go through uh, a portion of it. The first part is all online. You're learning about the history of beavers. You're learning about their place in ecosystems, uh, the history of humans and beavers and the conflicts that have arisen there. And then all the amazing science and research that has been coming out and continues to come out, um, how beavers prevent uh, uh, droughts, how they can have the potential to halt wildfires and other such events. And once you get through that point uh, of the program, you go into sort of a mentorship phase where you're learning how to install these devices across the landscape so that, you know, whether it be agricultural, whether they want the water to keep running or in situations where you might want a beaver and and it's not present. In those instances, we train folks to put in what are called beaver dam analogs and sort of promote the uh, what an ecosystem with beavers looks like. So to promote yeah. them there and they can start doing their work. Um, at that point, uh, they, people who are going to the program put in four of these installations and they're mentored by Mike. And so, you know, they're out there with, we're using technology with this, you know, they're out there with their cameras and video and Mike's getting that and he's sending that back pointers. And then once they've installed those four pieces, then they are a certified beaver wetland professional. And uh, at this point we have uh, had 70 folks um, in our program and the majority of those going through to to graduation. And, you know, although we are a United States based nonprofit, 
we really think about this as beavers without, or rather beavers beyond borders. Um, you know, these imaginary constructs that we've developed um, uh, aren't held uh, in the mm -hmm. consciousness of the natural world. It is ours. And so our vision is really North America centric, which is why we, we want to collaborate and continue with folks like you uh, to really make this possible. And uh, again, I think that's you kind of nailed it is it's seeing is believing and having people actually go in and build one of these things. I, I can I can attest to that personally. I have been on site for the building of flow devices, for the development uh, or building of uh, culverts, uh, uh, protectors for uh, multi uh, the, the ones where it is both a culvert protector and a flow device, yep. all kinds of different things and watch people go, oh, well, this won't work, or we tried that, or this or that. And then you see someone who knows what they're doing do it. Yeah. And it's it reminds me of doing a reno in the basement. Mm -hmm. I understand how to cut drywall. I understand <laughs> how to nail it to the wall. It makes perfect sense. It's logical. But that's a far cry from actually cutting a piece of drywall and nailing it to the studs. It, yes. it requires practice. It requires someone to show you how to do it. And once you've done it a few times, that actually is pretty straightforward. It then becomes a matter of expertise. And I think that's what the Beaver Institute is so great at, is it's really getting people to that point where they can learn from the the professional, right? <laughs> One of the original providers of this kind of service and how to do it locally too, because what might work in Southern California where they are desperate for beavers may not work as well in Northern Ontario where the beaver population is thriving and healthy and there's a great deal more forest. Yep. Um, so I, I think it's so important for people to really sort of see that. And again, the number of times I've seen people say, oh, well, we tried flow devices and then you see what they did and compare it to what Mike does or what other professionals do. Yeah. And it's just worlds apart. Yeah. Uh, is there a way you have found to deal with that kind of awkward conversation of like, I see what you were going for, but you did it real wrong. Yeah, I think Mike has more experiences with that, um, being out in the field and seeing it. But I, I anecdotally, I've heard many folks um, say that they've they've seen them put in poorly, and as a result, don't really work. And I think that's that's the selling point of this, and something that we're we're trying to do as an organization is really make not just the ecological um, um, case for beavers, but also the economic. These installations are anywhere from you know fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars. Um, you know, there are folks working in river restoration that are trying to um, replicate, you know, the habitats of beavers, and they'll spend millions of dollars when uh, a couple of devices like these can do the work. And then the bounty, what you receive, what we receive, what the environment receives, the biodiversity, all the things that sort of create this bank of reserves that uh, beavers are are providing us just by by doing their thing. Yeah, and I, I don't know that people do appreciate the depth of work that beavers do for us and that their ponds and dams do for us because we, as you said, we see them as a nuisance or a pest and we want them gone. But when you actually stop and look at what we know, and we've known for a while, and as you said, the the knowledge on this, I'd say, is growing almost exponentially at this point considering these impacts. But on the Beaver Institute website, just real quick, eight ways it helps. Access the Earth's kidneys, filtering and cleaning water, recharge drinking water aquifers, wildfire oases, oases reduce losses and speed recovery. They help in threatened, endangered and threatened species, including salmon, which is a big one in BC. Uh, slow and spread water in dry regions, which is, I think, the primary reason that uh, California wants them. Heal degraded streams, reduce erosion and flood damage from large storms, and store carbon. 
It's also worth noting that when a beaver pond dies, eventually, as all things in an ecosystem does, it turns into the most fertile meadow you will ever see in your life. Just chock full of nutrients and all kinds of absolutely essential plants, uh, foods. It's, It's really remarkable how much they do, but at some point we stopped considering that and just sort of said, oh, this is what we do and made that turn. Have you seen that sort of people sort of getting that light bulb moment? Because for me, that's always exciting when they realize that this isn't just some advocacy. These are real scientific measurable facts that we're talking about. And they are uh, arguably a way to even monetize that kind of savings uh, if someone who is an economist wanted to get in on it. Absolutely. And I, I feel like there's a phrase that's bandied about this uh, uh, ecological amnesia of forgetting things that we used to know implicitly by just living and being with nature. And that's something that uh, in, individuals and folks that uh, have been indigenous to North America were working alongside and living alongside beavers for eons. And yeah. some of these processes that we call beaver dam analogs are um, low based, low tech based process restoration. Some of these techniques are things that sort of have been forgotten, intentionally forgotten, and are now mm-hmm. being sort of re rethought or re brought up into the conversation. And so it's more about us connecting to something that we already knew, but but had really forgotten. And I think that's that's the beauty of this is is going back seven generations and not just two or three or four to that impulse of eradicate, remove. You know, that was such the the impulse and the 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 founding really of of the colonial state of North America is eradicate. And beavers, bison, and human beings were all a piece of that. And I think one of our our jobs as stewards for the environment and for beaver is to tell that story as well and to really make this a cyclical story of returning to knowledge. And uh, at least that's the impetus that I come from. Yeah, and I, I think that makes the most sense. And it, it kind of ties into, we, we're all talking about uh, uh, one health, I think is the mm-hmm. term that's being used primarily, but that concept of holistic health, that everything is connected. And when we ignore one of the pieces that is connected, we are leaving ourselves open to, to loss, to damage, to, to error. And the role wildlife play in ecosystems, particularly as we start getting more and more urbanized, I think is just so vital. Uh, The number of folks I know who see a rabbit on their yard or a raccoon in Southern Ontario, where I am, uh, very quickly say, oh, well, we need to get rid of it. Why? There's not even a, a negative encounter yet, but it's just the, oh, wildlife is bad on my property. And as you said, you look to uh, traditional ecological knowledge of indigenous groups and First Nations, Inuit and Métis over the years, and the issues that we face very frequently in terms of infrastructure aren't present because it is accepting that we are part of an ecosystem as opposed to constantly trying to control the ecosystem. And it's maybe a, a mindset overall that will help us in so many of these new issues we're facing. I concur and say, yeah, it's 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 sort of revising this hierarchical role of way of thinking um, that humans are at the top of it and everyone below us. Um, that that rather we are part of this thing and we are not uh, we are not the masters of this. Yes. Um, so I, I want to chat on two sort of subjects here still too. One is uh, tree protection because we get a lot of commentary about this, and I think people see a chopped down tree by a beaver and think, well, there will never be a tree here again. 
And that's kind of the, it, it's a very analog or binary. It, it is this, it is a tree here or it's not a tree here. Right. Uh, so for example, in one community where we did some advocacy work and they're introducing coexistence uh, uh, work as a result, someone emailed us and said, oh, well, all of these trees near the pond I love are gone. That's thanks to people like you. And I, I you know, there, there's no support really in responding to that. But at the same time, the the argument is is invalid. I mean, trees come down. That's that's part of the ecosystem. Yeah. Some trees live, some trees don't. And then when a tree doesn't live, it creates life. Yeah. And then we can add a tree. And more particularly, when we have beavers, we can add a tree that they may not want. Um, we can provide trees they do want. Like it's it's a very manageable situation. And I even have a study that I, I came across. Uh, relative effectiveness of four different guards in preventing beaver cutting of urban trees which says um, between two or four types they used, 11% of the trees with guards were inventoried, were cut by beavers, but variation among the guard types was observed. So 89% success rate at preventing beavers from accessing these trees. And of the 11% they did access, there's questions about how well the tree was protected. So to me, it feels like there's a very, very simple and straightforward solution to this but people imagine it must be much more evolved. And kind of the part B to that is the materials involved with flow devices. I think there's maybe an expectation of something grand, but it's stuff that most municipalities already have. It's stuff you can buy at Home Depot without a special order. Uh, how do you find it, or what strategies are you looking at to try and sort of communicate some of those items where it's, it's actually a lot more accessible than people think if you have the information. Yeah, and this is a campaign we're actually working on to um, support our current Beaver Corps members is providing them with cleaner designs to show folks so they can really get an understanding. Because as you say, it's it's a two by four wire mesh um, mm -hmm. to wrap around trees. And the two by four, four wire mesh is often used as well in the installation of these devices and pipes. And uh, the thing that's amazing about the the tree wrapping is that that's an area where you don't need the technique, right? You just need the right yeah. tools and a measuring tape, and anyone can do this. Um, and to your point earlier about you know beavers taking down trees, and to that ecological amnesia point is we often don't have the patience or the willingness of patience to really witness what's what what happens. And, and you mentioned this earlier, the idea of the, the life of a wetland, then becoming a meadow, regenerating and then returning. It's this cyclical thing, you know, mm -hmm. um, beavers seed a willow forest by harvesting the willows. And if you go and you look at a willow forest that beaver trees, uh, that beavers have downed, you'll see shoots coming right out of that. And then within, yep. you know, a decade or so, that's going to be a new forest and regenerated for other species. And so, but, you know, if you want to protect your trees, if you don't want the trees taken down, because some people do want their trees to remain up, uh, even though the beavers may be, may be hungry for them, um, it really is just two by four wire mesh. Uh, we say not to do chicken wire or other methods because they tend to rust out in one or two years. This this hard wire, uh, hardware of wire mesh um, will be good for up to 10 to 15 years uh, and sometimes even more. Uh, we recommend that it be four, five, uh, excuse me, four to five feet high, uh, especially in places where it snows, so that you know as as the winter moves along, that the beaver doesn't finally get access. Now that the snow is two to three feet high, uh, for, you know, potentially depending on where you are. And then 
you know, in terms of materials, all you really need is one roll of this fence at that correct height, uh, four feet high. You need a pair of wire snappers, a pair of gloves, and some wire fasteners or small zip ties. And with that, you cut them out. Um, you want to leave about three to six inches of gap between the wire mesh and the tree trunk so that tree can continue to grow. Um, and then you tie it around and wrap it up. And there you have it. And beavers are not going to try to lift up and go under. That's not something that we've noticed. Um, and if you do go to our website and you look under solutions for trees, this will all be laid out very easily. And again, this is something that can that can be done. I've done it many times. And it's, it's actually quite a fun project for folks who maybe don't have the the desire to get in the pond uh, and get get dirty that way. This is something that can be done with anyone, just about anyone at any skill level. 100%, it is really accessible. Um, my two tips are make sure you're wearing good thick gloves when working with that fencing, because I've got pokes all over my hands yes. from not wearing it while building something with that kind of stuff. And also just as a general reminder to people, chicken wire was created to keep chickens in, not anything else out. Mm -hmm. So chicken wire as a tool can be very, very limited, but I think people assume it will do more. Um, also, when you're in a region like you and I, you have to deal with uh, uh, the increased salt content from road runoff and stuff. Yep. Uh, so you get that galvanized steel and it will last. And uh, it again, I, I was just up at a cottage and driving in, you can every few properties, you see a couple of pond trees that are wrapped and they've probably been wrapped for 10 or 15 years at this point yeah. uh, based on their size and they're doing just fine, right? Like it, it looks fine. They do fine. I think even if you had one of those, uh, I can't remember the correct term for it, but the tree watering system for saplings, the bags, you could probably mm -hmm. still wrap around that yep. uh, and still get access to your watering bag and everything uh, for extra protection. So it, it, again, to me, it just, it makes so much sense to do, but it's a matter of sort of helping people realize it's an option at times. Yeah. Um, now, people who want to get involved, I think there's sort of a two-part thing here because there's the opportunity to partake in the Beaver Corps, to get really involved in that way. But not all of us are going to have the ability to do it physically, have the want to do that. As you said, not everyone finds standing in waders in a wetland relaxing. I personally think they're the most beautiful ecosystems on the planet and grab every opportunity I can to go hang out in them. But it's not for everyone. And uh, the Beaver Institute is a nonprofit. So I imagine there are many other ways people can still get involved. Um, but maybe we start with the process for if you're interested in Beaver Corps. Yeah, if you're interested in Beaver Corps, go to our website, beaverinstitute.org. Um, click on programs. It'll lead you to the Beaver Corps. There's applications there. You know, if uh, tuition is $2,500. Um, if that is a, a challenge for you, we have subsidies and scholarships available. Our big uh, goal right now is focusing on communities and environments that are facing the brunt of climate change, specifically in the West where they need water, so they need beavers. So we're doing a lot of work in expanding us our, our reach in the in the Mountain West and Southwest uh, and just the West in general of North America. Um, if Beaver Corps doesn't sound like up your alley, even though, you know, you said if pe people not capable of getting in the water, we have Beaver Corps members. We have one in particular sort of orchestrates from uh, from dry land and has mm. a community of helpers, family and friends who collaborate with with, with awesome. people on this project. So I think I there are that. many different pathways uh, to to being able to, to do this work. Absolutely. And I think it's it's worth 
sending an email, right? If, like Absolutely. you said, if you're not sure if you can afford it or you have questions, make contact. And as I said, the Fur Bears also does offer an annual scholarship out of Canada uh, for Canadians who are interested. But definitely check out the website. And folks who, who want to support this work as a whole, uh, outside of maybe, again, even if you're, you just you don't like going near the water yeah. um, or you, you live in an area where you've got beavers and you want to be able to support it. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities I see on the website for contributing through donations, uh, signing up as a member. Um, could you talk a bit about those? Yeah, uh, you know, we're a nonprofit, always happy to take donations. We uh, we make sure our dollar goes a long way. I'm currently the only uh, full-time staff member at the Beaver Institute and uh you know, our goal really is to expand nationally, but we need that that fiscal support to ensure that our programs are reaching and, and having that effect. Otherwise, as I mentioned, we have these six national beaver working groups. Uh, if, if an area interests you, if you want to get involved, there's a place for everyone in this movement. And that, that program in particular is built out of that, of, of folks wanting to, to bring this work to their community. And, and to another point, sort of to give you a coming attraction, so to speak, we've identified that as you noted, there are people who want this information, want the knowledge, but aren't going to want to get in the pond and particularly install these devices. Next year, we'll be premiering a new track for Beaver Corps, which is going to be, I say this is the, this is the track that I would take, um, which is more about uh, education and advocacy. So whether you want to change policy in your municipality, or if you want to run, uh, start a beaver festival, or you want to have an education program with the, your community, this is a track that will set you up to learn those basics um, about uh, coexistence and flow devices, but also just the history of beavers. And then what you do is you will be mentored through a beaver project in your community and come out of that as a Beaver Corps member just on a different track. So that's something we are working on because we want this training and this knowledge to be across the field and every single community um, because it's that that sort of increasing beaver consciousness that's going to have the most impact. Absolutely. Can't agree more and uh, encourage everyone, check out beaverinstitute.org. There is so much great information here about coexisting with beavers, about flow devices and solutions, but then also just some awesome video presentations from past conferences, educational materials. And I love the sound of that new program you're working on. That's very exciting. And I agree. I, I am a little handy, but not that handy. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be a push for me to be able to do installations personally on my own, but certainly the other side of that, being able to do the advocacy, learning more about them would be huge. And in my personal experience at the Fur Bears, that advocacy is going to make a big difference because municipalities are willing to try something new, but you got to be able to talk to them in a way they'll understand. Yep. And I imagine that's a big part of what this program will be. Yes, that's that's something that we train uh, our folks up to as well as how how to uh, highlight those beaver benefits first in every conversation and, and really be that the advocate on the ground along with installing the devices, being able to be able to tell that narrative. To learn more about the Beaver Institute, visit beaverinstitute.org or follow the links in this week's show notes. I want to thank Adam for sharing his time with me and everyone else at the Beaver Institute for their important work. I encourage everyone to check out the Beaver Institute's website and social media channels to learn how you can get involved, whether it's sharing content or getting the waders on and into ponds. I also want to thank you for listening this week. None of this is possible without you. Remember, you can find more about Defender Radio and the Fur Bears by following us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, 
and all of those links are available in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Michael Howey for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. <laughs>